And I lived in Mississippi for a year. Uh, it was actually my second year away from home. Right after I graduated high school, I, I went away to Bible college. I spent my first year in Pennsylvania and my second year down south in Mississippi. After a particularly emotional and spiritually rough season, I was headed home. It's a 12-hour drive. MapQuest uh, was duct taped to my steering wheel. Before the iPhone, I had one of those tape deck auxiliary cords. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You put it in the tape deck and you can plug your phone or MP3 player into it. I had a bag of ranch uh, dressing, sunflower seeds. I was cruising. Like that's, I was ready to go. And so I really didn't have much to do on a 13-hour, 12, 13-hour drive by myself. And so you just kind of look at the scenery around you. You know, a big highlight for me is just bridges because it, you know, it just breaks up the drive for those three seconds you're driving over the bridge. But you just look at the things around you from hills to mountains to flat to whatever. But I vividly remember on this drive, I remember that as I started getting closer and closer to Indiana, which is where I was born and raised, I, I knew I was getting closer because the scenery was changing. I started seeing row upon row upon row of corn. And, and not the skimpy Illinois corn. Like, I mean, this is good. Indiana, beautiful, you know, just corn. It was great, okay. And as I was getting closer and closer, if I'm really honest with you, I cried just a little bit. Like, not a lot, it was just like one singular manly tear to just appreciate the land. But I knew I was getting home because I, the territory was changing. The hills and the mountains started leveling out to be just come rows upon rows of just corn and fields. I knew I was getting home. The territory was changing. About two months ago in our study of Ephesians, we crossed a territory line. The scenery changed around us. We've studied the last fall, chapters 1 through 3, and 1 through 3 are all about our identity, our station, our position with Christ, who we are with God based on our faith. When you believe, this is all the things that will happen. This is your, your placement, your identity in Christ. And not only that, it's about who we are in God's grace and how we live in that. And it, all these powerful, passionate prayers that Paul has for the believers, the church of God. But these chapters, uh, there's this new revelation of Paul, these aha moments. And he gets who Jesus is. And in chapters 1 through 3, he's sharing all of that. Finally, I get it, who Jesus is, what that means for us, what that means for you, how that changes your identity. But chapter 4, we started that about December. We see new changes and new developments in the land. Paul's working to put who we are in Christ into practice not just to know who you are, but to actually practically live it out. That the knowledge may come out into your day-to-day -day life. That you don't just know who you are, blessed and secured and sealed and delivered and all these things, but that it might actually affect your day-to-day -day living. And so Paul changes the tone a little bit. And he uses this in verses uh, 4.1, Ephesians 4.1. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Knowing everything about this, knowing your inheritance, and knowing everything that I just explained to you for three chapters, I beg you, put it into effect. Start doing something with that knowledge. Live it out. In the last two months, we've been talking about what that looks like. Living it out looks like keeping the peace with each other. 
It means that we've been equipped to serve each other. It means that we must be resolved to be resolved to this life. It means that we put this principle from moving principles into our Christian life into practice. Practically, it looks like don't steal. Don't let anger control you. Flee sexual immorality. Be kind, be loving. Don't gossip or cuss. Don't be crude. Don't live in darkness, but be a child of the light. Ephesians 4, 22, 24, it sums this up really well. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. But how do we do this? How do we walk this calling out? How do we take off this old, put on the new? How do we let the Holy Spirit change our thoughts and our attitudes? Great question. I'm so glad that you asked. Can we please stand as we read God's word and guiding scripture for our morning service? We are at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Do not be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we just give you thanks and honor today. Thank you, God. We've already come to you with our hymns and our songs and our praise, God. And now we come to you with our attention. Would you open the word, God, to us? May it get, go down deep in us, God. May it be effective in changing, God. May it, may it adapt how we live day to day the rest of this week, Father. May your truth get in us, God. And may any lie that we believe any misunderstanding, God, go away from us, Father. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can grab a seat. Thank you. Verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. What's a fool? Proverbs lists all these ways that what, and explains what a fool is versus a wise person. A fool is a person who pays no attention to correction or instruction. A fool has no respect for authority or for other people's management of their lives. A fool manages their finances poorly. A fool is loud when they should be quiet. They speak when they should keep those words in. A fool, I learned this at summer camp, a fool turns fun into stupid fun. A fool has no awe or respect for God and God's rule in their life. But here, Paul is saying that a fool has no respect for time. A fool focuses on today, the momentary pleasures of the now instead of planning for the future. A fool says, who cares about tomorrow? We might die. Let's drink and eat today. A fool says, whatever is desirable, whatever feels good, whatever satisfies me right now is what I want to do. Proverbs 6 talks about a small ant. It talks about how ants have no masters, how they have nobody to force them to work. But when it's summer, when they can, they go out and work very, very hard. So in the wintertime, they will not perish, but they have resources to sustain them. 
The ant thinks for the future, but the fool lives for the moment. A fool does not care about tomorrow. He has no thought for the future. Only a fool looks to satisfy the desires and the wants of the right now. This past week, my eldest child, she lost her first tooth on the top row of her teeth. And she's lost a couple on the bottom, but this is the first one she lost on the top. And I'm looking at her, and me and my wife were just like, you're a, you're a kid. Like, you're not a baby anymore. It was one of those moments where your kid says something, you realize, oh, you have like a brain in there. Like, you're thinking about things. Like, you're, really, you're like growing up. And I realized that she is a child. She's no longer a baby. She's no longer a toddler. She's thinking, developing, and starting to understand the world around her, trying to understand how to put it into practice, and trying to understand what she believes. And she's six years old. And it's not a long time, but when you realize that you have 18 years with your kids before they go off for trade or college or whatever, that we are a third of the way done raising my first child. And when you say it like that, both me and my wife are like, ah, don't say that. I hate that. It freaks me out like I haven't done enough, spent enough time with her, taught her how to grill or change her car oil or anything like that. And then at the same time, I'm also like, is it bedtime yet? Is it time for you to go to bed? All of us only have as much time as we have. You can't buy more. You can't give it away. You can't make, you can only make the most of the time that you've been given. And this is Paul's point. Following up everything that we've talked about, who you are, and the practical way to put it into your life, he says, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Walk worthy of your calling. Everything that we just talked through, walk worthy of the calling that God put on your life. Match it. Put off the old, put on the new, live as a child of the light. Do all these things. Take every moment to be good and to do more and more good. A fool does what satisfies right now, but a wise person does what, what, does what will allow them to thrive later. Last night, I picked up a box of donuts for the worship team. I left it here on the stage for them. And, uh, but a few weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, me and my wife had made this pact. We had said, you know, we really, we really want to focus on our health this year. We want to get healthier and better. And so we said, we're going to reserve sugar for the Sabbath on the weekends for us. We're going to forego sugar throughout the weeks, and we're just going to eat it on that 24-hour that period when we're Sabbathing and resting, and, uh, and we're going to save sugar. So last night I picked up this box of donuts, and I said, uh, I, I, I'm, I won't eat a donut. I, I won't eat a donut. This is just for the worship team. I'm going to pick this up. It's for the worship team. This morning, as I looked at the donuts, I said, I, I don't want those. Those are not worth the calories. I don't want those. On the way out the door, I grabbed a banana, a, a, a nature's donut. Okay, I was like, I'm, I'll eat a banana instead of that donut. I'll, I'll be full. It's going to be okay. On the way here, I put the donuts in the back seat so I wouldn't think about them. I said, I don't care. I said, I, I, I don't want I, I to eat that donut because I, 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 I just don't want to. And so I grab it, I walk in, I put the box of donuts on the stage, I take two steps, I turn around, I walk back, I open the box, I grab a jelly-filled donut, 
And I ate a filled donut. I don't care if it makes me feel bloated. I don't care if it makes me feel fat. I don't care if this donut has worthless calories. I don't care if it makes me feel guilty later. I don't care if that banana is going to sit on my desk and just rot until I throw it away. I don't care if I'm going to have to go work out at the gym. I don't care that eating that donut, it just makes me feel good right now. Don't be a fool. Don't put off this resurrection living till death. Don't put off the God life. Think about who you are becoming, who you want to be, and the steps that you need to put and take in place to be the person that you want to become. Practice it right now. Be wise and thrive. Make the most of every moment that you have. Today is the only moment that you have today. This right now is the only time that you will ever have this time right now. How are you using it? Is it effective? Are you being foolish with it or wise? We've only been given so much time, so let's make the most of it. One of my favorite games growing up is Mario Brothers 1985 edition. It's the one with the, you had to take the cartridge and go, like that. And then, you know what I'm talking about? How many people know what I'm talking about? Okay, a good handful of them. We played that game so much. And so Mario is, if you ever thought about it, is a plumber who is an Italian plumber. And he has to battle mushrooms and snapping turtles and lava and quicksand. Doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that's the story of Mario. And one of his greatest opponents, though, is not fungi and reptiles. It's time. When you're going through the level, there's a little timer in the top right-hand corner that's counting down the whole time. And if you get to the very end of the game and you run out of time, you die. The same is for us. We're all fighting against this clock of time. None of us know how much we have, but let's make the most of it. To help Mario overcome these obstacles, make the most of his time, are these little power-ups in the game. And one of the best of them is a star. If Mario finds a star and he eats that star, for a limited time, he becomes invulnerable to the things that normally would be a hindrance to him. And so he's able to plow through mushrooms and turtles and jump over through lava and make it to the end faster and be more effective with the time he has. Where is this going, Pastor Josh? It's going to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because this will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This filling is the key that Paul is bringing everything to. The superpower to living the normal, everyday life effectively and well. It's like that star in Mario. It enables us to do normal things in ways we could not do by ourselves. You know, if you go back and read 4 through 5 up to the point we're at, it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, don't drink wine, be sober. Don't drink wine, drink it moderately. It's interesting that he says, don't fill yourself with this, but fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. All these other things are practices where he says, don't be sexually immoral. Don't steal. Don't be angry. Don't, don't uh, let these things invade your life. And he's giving you practical ways to live. But here's a principle that Paul's talking about. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, verses, do this instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's so, to live this life that Paul is calling us to, I would say 
in my opinion, you cannot do it on your own will. You could try really, really hard. I'm going to just try to be a more loving person, whatever that means this week. But inevitably, your willpower will come to an end. And you'll mess up. And you'll feel guilty. And so, Paul's saying is that there's a way to do this where you can succeed. And it's called this filling of the Spirit. All of us have a desire to fill ourselves with something. Paul's saying, how will you fill yourself? Will you fill yourself with the ways that you can fill yourself in your own self, in your own control, in, in the things that you could put into your body, the ways that you could fill your time? Or will you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, to supercharge your life, to be able to give you a power and a way to do things that you didn't think you could do on your own? Will you allow God's Spirit to come and work in you and be this presence in you? Scientists did an experiment a while ago. They wanted to study how people got along with just their thoughts in silence. The researchers took a, many, many people, hundreds of people, and they put them into a room all by themselves for 15 minutes. Before they went into that room, they asked them, uh, would you pay money to not be electrically shocked? Most of the people said yes. I'll ask you right now, if, I had, if you had the choice of being electrically shocked or being able to pay your way to not be electrically shocked, how many people would say, I'll, I'll pay five bucks or whatever to not get shocked? One person, you guys are sick, what's wrong with you? Bunch of weirdos in here. So most of them asserted that they would not. So in the room, they're there, chair, nothing else, no music, nothing, completely quiet, but they have the ability, a button, to be able to push this button and to shock themselves. Didn't change the time, didn't change anything else. Just 15 minutes of quiet, or 15 minutes of quiet and shock yourself. What they found was pretty startling, is that 67% of men and almost 25% of women chose to inflict shock on themselves and just to sit there quietly and think. Hundreds of people ran through this test. Two-thirds of men and a quarter of women would rather shock themselves than sit there with their own thoughts. They'd rather fill the space with something, anything, even if it's shocking myself, other than quiet. Whether because we're fools or gods, we look to ways to fill ourselves with whatever means we can. And it doesn't just come in bottles. You could fill your life with shopping. You could fill your life with meticulously cleaning your house. You could fill your life with being obsessed with your dog and making sure it's pampered, spending time with your friends, eating, drinking, smoking, sex, entertainment, thrills and frills, our children and their sports and their activities. Even church can become a filler if you're just looking to get from one spiritual high to the next. Fill me with this filling. We all want to fill and we want to flee. We want to run from the emptiness. We want to run from the emotions. We want to run from the realities of the future. We want to run to what's easy instead of what's difficult. Another way to think of this living is living our life out of a flesh-focused versus a spirit-focused. A dark-focused versus a light-focused. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay 
and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we just don't give up. In the natural, what we do without any influence from God, our fleshly hearts focus on these things. Our fleshly heart wants to focus on what feels good, what's easy. Our fleshly heart is often more selfish. It's more focused on ourselves and selfish. It creates emptiness or death in us. It has a focus for today. But a focus on being filled with the Spirit has a focus on what is right and good and true. It does the difficult things because we know those are the best things for us. It is others' focus. It gives and creates life. And it is focused not on today but on eternity. Who I am becoming and where we are going. So let's not be drunk but let's be filled with the Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Spirit before, friends. We've talked, we've done a sermon on how the Holy Spirit dwells with us. We've done a sermon on how to be baptized and what it looks like to be baptized in the Spirit. But here, look in the grammar that Paul is using. He's saying, be filled now and again. The tense that he's using is this idea of be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled and be filled more and more. Be filled and be filled again and again. God's Spirit will enable you to help you become the person that you've called to be, the person that you want to be. I believe Psalms 1 through 3 does a beautiful job of illustrating this, this deep, the Spirit-filled life. It says this, it says, Oh, the joys. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. I believe this simple psalm does a wonderful job of illustrating the spirit-filled life. Similar to Paul's teachings, it starts out with this, a good foundation. Do not follow the advice of the world. Do not spend your time with those people that will influence you to do wrong. Do not join or partner in with people that will entice you to sin. This has been countless people's problems. When we associate with other people that aren't looking for the life that God desires us to have, slowly their language, their thinking, their advice begins to dictate and affect the way that we live. Because who you spend your time with will rub off on you. You are the company you keep, the old saying goes. We are supposed to be the light on the hill, a beautiful beacon of hope and love and life that is full and abundant, but too often, too easily, instead of being that beacon, we sit, we stand, and we partake with others, the ones that we are supposed to be encouraging, ones that do not have that hope, ones that are not trying to look for that vibrant life that we are trying to have. Instead of affecting them, we allow their counsel to affect us. You know yourself. If those people are not helping you be the person that God wants you to be, do not join in their discussion or their lifestyle. There needs to be a healthy separation there. I'm not telling you to go from here and block your mother-in-law on your phone or anything else like that. <laughs> Okay. 
But there is a different with association of where he's saying, don't sit, don't stand, don't partake with these type of people. You know the types of people that have influence on your life, and are they the right types of people that you are allowing to have influence on your life? Are they the type of people that you want to become? Do they have the same similar goals that you have? That's why church is so important. Not necessarily this is important and the worship is important, but it's so important for you to be around like-minded people. They have the same direction, same goal, same not just today, but eternity-focused mindset. It's so important for parents to be with other parents that want to raise their kids to know God, to love God, and become disciples of God. It's so important for your kids to go to youth group and young adults and kids ministry because they need to have friends that have parents that are teaching them to love God. Who you sit with and partake with and hang out with largely has an effect on who you become. So don't sit with those mockers, those scorners, those sinners. Don't sit with the people that will entice you to do what's wrong. Instead, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. We're going to get to that at the very end of the sermon. So tuck that away for right now. Those people, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, and their leaves will never wither. They will prosper in all they do. What the psalmist is saying here is he's saying dig deep into the source of life. Dig deep into where your strength comes from. Be refreshed, be filled, and be full of the Spirit. It's this very Spirit that will allow you to bear fruit. It's this very Spirit that will allow you to thrive and be sustained in hardship. It's the stream that gives the tree the means to be able to keep its leaves full and green, to produce fruit, to be a blessing to other people. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8, uses the same illustration of a tree that's planted by a river. But he takes it a step farther. He says that when the drought comes and when the heat comes, that you will still thrive. You will still bear fruit. You will still be full of life when others are being withered and dead and decaying and dying. Why? Why does a tree stop bearing fruit? Why does a tree in the wintertime lose its leaves and shrivel up? And just protect itself because it's cut itself away from the source of life. If a tree would maintain and stay connected to oxygen and air and the heat and the right temperature, it will never lose its leaves. It will never stop bearing fruit. It will keep on bearing it. But when you cut it from those things that produce those life in it, then it begins to die. If you stay deep, if you stay rooted, if you stay secure, and the thing that can produce life in you, you will maintain and sustain through hard times. You will bear fruit and you will be a blessing to other people in the process of that. All of this sounds wonderful, but how do I actually do that? How do I get filled again? How do I chase down that Mario star? How do I do it again and again? How do I be refreshed? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, or verses 19 through 20, it says, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This spirit-filled life is connected to a life of worship and a life of love. Worship is many things. But it is a a way through song, through clapping, through dancing, through praying, through, through putting your hands in the air, through sitting with hands in your face. 
through, through reflecting, through giving your attention to God, through reading your Bible, through how you live day to day, all of those ways are worshiping God. Worship is doing things that connect you to his presence. That, Like that song we just sang, you are worthy of it all, I exalt you. I give you weight. I give you meaning. I put you high. I put you as important. I put you as the first thing in my life. Worship is giving importance or value to something. And so when you worship God, you're giving him primary importance in your life. You're saying, you have weight in my life. You have value in my life. You're not the thing I'm just going to try to squeeze in if I get everything else done. You're the first thing because out of you comes everything else. And that's the point of all of this is what Paul is saying is live the spirit-filled life. Dig deep, go down deep, get into the stream, be with God, be in that presence. And if you do that, you'll have enough to do everything else. But so many times we come out the other way around. If I can get all this other stuff done, if I can just show up at church and just sit there and listen to the worship, if, if I can just read one verse, or maybe somebody else will to me, maybe I'll be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled, that feeling again and again requires your participation. It is not a passive activity where you can show up next to somebody else that is heart-seeking God with everything they have. It can be inspiring. It can be cool. It can also be weird. Why are you putting your hands up in the air, you weirdo? This isn't a concert. Have you ever been worshiping so hard and you pull up to a stoplight and you turn and you see somebody else looking at you? It's a fun moment. What are they singing? You must own your own worship. I don't know if you've ever uh, done this at the beach, but I can only swim in Lake Michigan so much, okay? And so at some point you're sitting on the beach and you're tanning and you're napping and whatever, but at some point you start digging in the sand. Maybe that's just me, maybe you've done it too. But what we used to like to do as children and as adults is we like to build ponds and channels. And so you big, dig a big pit and you dig these channels. And what happens is that the waves come in, the water comes in, it begins to fill the channels, and then it goes and fills the pond. Then the wave recedes, and all the sand kind of slumps in. And it requires you redigging the channels and opening them up and allowing the water to come back in and to refill again and again. This is a lesson I know in my head, but it's still something, honestly, I'm trying to work, off in my, work out into my life. Is that you, we, me, you, you can have as much of God as you desire. He will not cap it or limit. You can have as much of his spirit, much of his presence, much of him in your life as you desire. But God says, I'll, I'll, I'll match you. I'll, I'll meet you there, but I will not force you. Seek me. And you will, he makes, that a present, he makes that promise to us again and again in scripture. If my people would turn back to me, I will come and meet them. I'll take the stony hard heart out. I'll give you a soft new heart. I will meet you, but I will not force myself upon you. Do you desire me? Do you want me? Psalms verse, chapter 1, verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day 
and night. This word meditating, it means to reflect, to mutter, to ponder, to make a quiet sound such as a sighing, to meditate or contemplate something and repeat the words over and over and over again. Instead of our English word for meditation, which is a mental exercise in the Hebrew, to meditate means to think on the scriptures quietly, repeat them in a soft and droning sound while utterly abandoning other distractions. It's from this tradition that comes a special prayer. It's called divining. It's reciting texts, prayers, intense prayers, and getting lost in communion with God while bowing or rocking back and forth. We do this in church. It's just a, not a monastic chant. We do this in worship where you'll hear us take a phrase or a single word or a, a psalm or a particular chorus and we'll sing it over and over and over again. If you look around, if you notice that somebody really gets into it, and they'll have their eyes closed. They're not looking at the words. They may have their hands up or down. They may be swaying or pacing or clapping or doing something with their body. Because what they're doing is they're focusing and trying to get those words into their life. They're using those words as a conduit connect to God. Your worship is just like creating channels in the sand. You worshiping, coming before God, is like you clearing channels, opening them up, and allowing God to come in and to fill. It's not a forced thing. It's not a make-it-happen thing. But your worship is a way to get into God's presence. It's a way to say, God, I'm here. I'm clearing out all the distractions. I am opening myself up to you. Would you fill me again and again and again? You cannot live on a filling, a past filling. The thing with the sand is that as soon as the water comes in, it's full, and then as it goes back, things get in the way. And it requires an emptying and recreating and opening up those channels again and again. And the same is with your worship, church. How do I live this spirit-filled life? How do I keep after this? How do I get rid of these things I, stop, I, I don't want to do? How do I live into the light? Approach God in your worship. Do the things that you know is right again and again and again. Begin to intentionally look for ways that you might worship God. Maybe that's here at church. Maybe that's sitting a little closer. I'm, I'm not comfortable putting my hands up. Well, maybe just get close to somebody that is comfortable putting your hands up and just see what happens if you hang around them. Maybe in a couple of weeks, you, they might rub off on you. I'm not comfortable going to the altar. Are you comfortable enough? Are you willing enough to be able to go to the back and ask for somebody to pray for you? Maybe it looks like you, this every day this week, turning finding a new worship station, a new worship band to listen to on your way to work and rocking out to worship on your car. It looks like all of the spiritual practices we've ever talked about of fasting and Sabbathing and reading your Bible and creating ways for you to connect to God. What is your worship this week? There's this wonderful song called Monday Morning by Faith. Monday Morning Faith by SEU Worship. And there's this line in here I just want to read you. It says that hell's not scared of a Sunday faith if it only leads to empty praise. 
What really makes darkness run is when the saints arise and praise him quietly. I love that line. It's so easy for me to demonstrate my praise and my worship in public spaces. I'm a paid professional, man. You're basically looking at the NFL right here. Like, I get paid to do this. This is my lifestyle. But is my quiet space, my time where nobody sees me, is it as deep as what it appears on stage? Is yours as deep as what it might look like on Sunday morning? God will match you. God will meet you. God will fill you. But do you actually want it? How do I stay spirit-filled? Seek him and you'll find him. We're going to go into a time of worship here, friends. We're intentionally taking a little bit extra time to worship here at the end of service. And I would encourage you to begin to bring those desires to the surface. And maybe if you've never raised your hands before in worship, try putting up one hand. If you've never sung before, because you're like, well, my voice sounds terrible, try singing on the chorus. If that feels uncomfortable for you, while others are singing, try begin to pray out loud. What happens is when you begin to position your body, begin to position the things around you, it leads to the life that you want. You're creating channels and openings so that God can come in and fill. I've never prayed in public. It's really intimidating. It's really hard. I don't know what to say. Start somewhere. Start with where you're at. Just come and seek God. Let your desire be known to God. Lord, I, I, I need your presence this week. God, I, I need you to fill me this week. God, fill me again and again and again. Let that be your prayer. It can be as simple as this. Holy Spirit, come again. Holy Spirit, come. Church, would you just begin to stand with me, please, as we just pray. Right here, right now, you can respond to the message by coming forward to pray. Altar team, you can make your way forward into the back. You can come and you can worship. The lights are going to come off and we're just going to spend time worshiping. But church, I just encourage you to just worship in this moment. Make your desire and your requests known to God. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit or you don't think you have, today is a great day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come and ask a prayer team member. Come and ask me to pray with you. That we would just partner with your request that God would come in your life in a, a strong way that you've never experienced before. If you're just hungry today and you know that you need more God's presence in your life and you just want that next filling, you're welcome to come and worship here, worship in the back. But church, can we just go to prayer right now as we go into worship? Father God, we just welcome your presence. Lord, I know that you are faithful to who you are in your word. And you, in your word, God, says that you are faithful to us. Thank you, God, that you do not leave us high and dry. Thank you, God, you don't leave our prayers empty, but that you respond to us, God. You respond to the passionate heart cry of your children. 